Santa. Nine, eight, seven. the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. The FBI has shut down, I don't know if you've heard this yet, but the FBI has shut down some 20 Internet sites that were part of an alternative media network known as Indie Media. And that just happened this Thursday, a couple of days ago. And no, I don't use India Media for the information contained in A View from Space. But... Doesn't it bother you that they're shutting down alternative media sites? Maybe it's because the truth is, like, with this show, is getting out to a lot more people than they previously thought. I bet they even looked at the hits of the 20 sites that they knocked off and said, way too many. This is all part of that controlled information that the Illuminati has working in the world. After all, information is a commodity to them. And it's also a controlling device. If you keep the truth from people, you keep them in the dark. Then you can tell them what is the truth, which is actually a lie, but you can pass it off as the truth. Especially if there are no alternative places to go. This is one of those shows. This show is not controlled by anyone but myself. I am not told not to talk about things. And I am not told what to talk about. Let's just say it's one of the last bastions of freedom of speech. I'd like you to welcome uh, I'd like to welcome you by the way if you're listening on your PC or your Mac at 640toronto.com or if you're listening to the new Mojo Radio 640 
FBI shuts down 20 sites. A U.S. court order forced the firm hosting the material to hand over two servers that are based in the United Kingdom that are used by the group. Indie Media is the group. What they say is that it's a news source for the anti-globalization movement and other social justice issues. So obviously they're not shutting down something like, you know, uh, the Toronto Star. The reasons behind the seizure are unclear. I think I know why, don't you? But the FBI has said that the action was taken at the request of the Italian and Swiss authorities. The servers uh, affected were run by a group called Rackspace, R-A-C-K-S-P-A-C-E, a U.S. web hosting company with offices in London, England. It said it received a court order from the United States authorities Thursday to hand over the computer equipment and to cease their operations. And a U.K firm is hosting the facility. A statement was released by the company and it read, Rackspace is acting as a good corporate citizen and is cooperating with international law enforcement authorities. It said it was responding to an order issued under the Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty. Have you ever heard of that? Under this agreement, countries assist each other in investigations on things like, well, what would be first on the list? International terrorism, of course. Kidnapping and money laundering. Gee, that's three of the Illuminati's specialties, isn't it? International terrorism, kidnapping and money laundering. BCCI comes into uh, mind when I think of money laundering. Also Enron. The largest corporate bankruptcy in American business history. And this article I got says the reasons behind the action against indie media websites are unclear. But I, uh, to me it's very clear. It's a view from space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. If you've just tuned in. The FBI has shut down some 20 sites that were part of an alternative media network. It's called Indie Media. So, here's what was on those 20 sites. Audio streams, just like this show. For a bunch of radio stations, as well as other projects, also local collectives. That means simply uh, a bunch of people getting some information and posting it themselves. There's more, yeah. Indie Media has been asked last month by the FBI to take a story off about a Swiss undercover policeman. It's not known if this Thursday order to jerk the 
20 sites on indie media was connected with that. But don't you find that a little intrusive? Should we be tolerating that kind of thing if the web is actually for free speech? An FBI spokesperson, unnamed, of course, said that it was not an FBI operation, saying the order had been issued at the request of, like I said, an Italian and Swift authority. And, of course, some journalist groups spoke up about it. And one of them was... Uh, the International Federation of Journalists, who, by the way, in Iraq, there have been more journalists killed, I believe, than British troops. They say, we've witnessed an intolerable and intrusive international police operation against a network specializing in independent journalism. So if you're not towing the party line, they rip you off, take you down. They go on to say that the way this has been done smacks of more like intimidation of legitimate journalistic inquiry than crime busting. By the way, the uh, UK site of Indie Media is back up and running, but a few of those 20 sites still affected are offline. In the States, the Civil Liberties Group, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, said it was working with Indie Media, talking to them to see how they should be reacting to these seizures, because that's what it was, a seizure. Did you know the American Constitution does not, repeat, not permit the government to just cut off the speech of an independent media outlet? especially without providing a reason or even allowing indie media the information necessary to contest that seizure. So, I believe this is the motive. I believe the move to shut these sites down is time to coincide with the height of the election campaign in the states when people's interests in politics and a thirst for answers is at a peak. So much for the illusion of freedom of speech in a free country. It's the Spaceman. Back with more in a minute. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Next, capitalism versus communism. Sort of like the least and sins. Illuminati, New World Order, they don't scare the Spaceman. You're listening to a view from space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Where Toronto comes. Hey, Pope John Paul, the second getting into the act. Yeah, the Pope is. He's freaked out a lot of uh, a lot of people just lately when he was quoted in a book that's not out yet, but coming in out soon. 
saying that communism was a necessary evil. You catch that? Pope John Paul II, in a, in a new book coming out, that's not out yet, says communism was a necessary evil. And God allowed it to happen in the 20th century in order to create opportunities for good after its demise. That's what Pope John Paul II says in his new book. Evil is revealed as somehow useful because it creates opportunities for good. Are you understanding, like I am, what Pope John Paul II has just said? He's revealed his true beliefs. They're a luminist, which is a Gnostic system of belief. Let me give you the dictionary meaning of Gnosticism. It's the thought and practice, especially of various cults of late pre-Christian and early Christian centuries, distinguished by the conviction that matter is evil and that emancipation comes through gnosis, or learning. So the more you learn, the higher you go. It's just like Freemasonry. I've said quite often on this show, on A View From Space, on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto, that Pope John Paul II is Illuminati-controlled. And now this book comes out. And let's face it, a very sick man like that hardly has the strength to write a book. And yet, he has and has been quoted as saying that communism was a necessary evil that God allowed to happen. You see, the Pope said that evil is useful because it creates opportunities for good. That means the Pope sees the world in duality. Good and evil. The evil is necessary in order that good can triumph over it. Therefore creating opportunities for good. This is classic Gnosticism. Those are the core beliefs of the Illuminati. In fact, the duality of good versus evil is one of the main ten tenets of ancient Gnosticism. The division in two times, good and evil, and two realms, good and evil, will abruptly end with victory for the good. That's a quote from Philip Dick's book, the Ten Major Principles of the Gnostic Re Revelation. This division of this created world is dual in other natures than just good versus evil. There's light versus darkness, black versus white, heavy versus light, left versus right, East versus West. 
and north versus south. Good God versus evil God. Get it? Oh, and let me just clue you in. The good God in this belief system of Gnosticism is Lucifer. And the bad God is the God of the Bible. In this view, Lucifer is believed to be equal to God and his opposite. See, Lucifer and Jesus are supposed to be brothers. Both sitting at the left and right hand of God in Gnosticism. And the motto of their belief is, as above, so below. And I've said it so many times. As it is in the spirit world, so it is on the material world here on earth. And Satanism totally believes this Gnostic belief. In fact, Satanism dates back to the ancient Satanic mysteries of Babylon, predating Gnosticism. And because of his belief in the duality of the Gnostics, and because he's a luminous through and through, the Pope wears white. Ever noticed that? The Pope always wears white. While the Illuminati visitor always dresses in black, or occasionally you'll see a dark blue. Even the floor, the checkered black and white floor, where the Pope welcomes the guests to the Vatican is the black and white checker. See, the Gnostics believe that good, white, will always triumph over evil, black. And when the Pope wears his white, he accepts visitors that have to wear black. This Zoroastrian symbolism literally is declaring the Pope to be supreme in spiritual matters, actually representing God himself on earth. That's how the Vatican sees him. I'm coming back with more. This Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. This is uh, Beaver Space. I got a cold space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Pope John Paul II freaked a lot of people out with a, a line. He was quoted in an upcoming book that says communism was a necessary evil and that God allowed it to happen in the 20th century in order to create opportunities for good after its demise. This is Gnosticism the system of Gnosticism. And I wonder, really, and a lot of times when I see Pope John Paul II on television, I wonder if he's really not controlled by those people that are surrounding him. I'm not sure what he really believes. But officially, he's an Illuminist. And also not long for this world. And we all know that. Some say the next Pope will be the final Pope.
But this good versus evil, pitting one side against the other, is the same belief as the Illuminati. As a matter of fact, they've taken this good versus evil concept to a much higher plane. They've developed a formula. And through that formula, they're going to gradually conquer the world. This formula sees a duality struggle between two major forces. And those two major forces are, let's just call them thesis, and its exact opposite would be antithesis. And that's the formula that's guided the history of mankind since World War I. Three world wars are planned. The First World War began the League of Nations, which were 43. And it was supposed to be a group of people that would stop all the rest of the wars, any other war that came along. But the Second World War came along. And after the Second World War, the League of Nations morphed into the United Nations. where we now have 123 countries under that umbrella of that organization. It is a precursor to the one world government. I put it to you, one more world war, and the first shot was fired in 9-11. And they will have every single country under the United Nations umbrella, and everyone who has nuclear power will give their power to the United Nations. Mikhail Gorbachev was the man chosen by the Illuminati to lead the old USSR into its breakup. He visited the States in 1992 to raise funds and make a whole bunch of contacts for the Gorbachev Foundation an Illuminati-controlled foundation. He declared, just as the USSR changed, the whole world is going to change. Have a reorientation. And also, when Gorbachev was here on that visit, he was not drawn into any admission of any kind that communism was dead. But he did say that an alternative between capitalism and communism is in the offing. There's your thesis versus antithesis. Capitalism versus communism. Then, Mikhail Gorbachev made one of the greatest admissions in the history of the modern world. Anybody following the Illuminati conspiracy to bring about the New World Order would immediately know what Gorbachev meant when he said 
that an alternative between capitalism and communism is in the offing in the immediate future. He said there are three systems of government. Two are ongoing right now, and one more to come. And he specifically mentions communism and capitalism as being the two that are ongoing right now, established in the world. But he also said that a third, yet unnamed government, is coming that will neither be communist nor capitalist. Now, what do you think he could possibly be referring to? To understand, we've got to go back in history to May 1st, 1776, the day that Adam Weishaupt, a former Jesuit priest, Vatican Army is the Jesuits, formed this occult group which he named the Masters of the Illuminati. Weishaupt found this, founded this new group on the Jesuit order basis. The Illuminati was a truly secret society, completely closed to the outside world. They had a definite plan to overthrow all religions, all civil institutions, all governments, and replacing them with a brand new global government, a system that Weishaupt called the New World Order. What were the plans of this New World Order? Well, there are six goals. Get rid of the monarchies and all ordered government. Get rid of private property ownership. Get rid of inheritance from your mother and your father. Outlawed. You're not able to pass on any inheritance. And get rid of patriotism. Knock down borders, in other words. Get rid of countries. Abolition of the family. All marriage, all morality, and the institution of the communal education of kids. And communal education means state-run public education. And finally, the sixth one, get rid of all religion. So what do you think happened today? Five churches in Iraq were attacked by the Muslims. Christians, five Christian churches. Five is the number of deaths. I mean, it's loud and clear, the satanic game they were playing today. Weishaupt, to achieve this plan, understood that he needed a supernatural power, too, if he was going to successfully destroy Western civilization, which is basically Christian in religion, right? So Weishaupt established his Masters of the Illuminati with an occult base. He created a symbol for this organization, too. It's the all-seeing eye atop an unfinished pyramid inside of a circle. And at the top of the circle were the words Anuit Coptus, which is Latin meaning announcing the birth of. And at the bottom of the circle, the Latin words Novus Ordo Seclorum, 
meaning New World Order. In other words, Weishaupt's symbol was announcing the birth of the New World Order. That symbol, by the way, is, as everybody knows, is on the back of the U.S. $1 bill. And at the bottom of that pyramid are Latin numbers, which if you convert to our number system, is 1776. So since American money has this New World Order symbol on the back, we've got to assume that their government's been committed to this New World Order since 1776. What Weishaupt saw was totally overthrowing all governments and replacing them with his global system. He aimed his plan against the Western governments of Europe because they were established according to Judeo-Christian principles. And you've heard me a, a lot on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto say that the war is going to pit Muslim versus Jew and Christian. It's the Crusades all over again. He strongly felt that the nations of the Orient could be easily incorporated into his plan because they were into mysticism and occult religion. The one he based his Illuminous planet. Moral when I come back. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm taking your emails at spaceman at 640toronto.com or space at 640toronto.com. I've been talking about communism versus capitalism. And Gorbachev himself, the guy who brought perestroika to the USSR. And the reason that he was allowed to do it, because he was Illuminati. He also visited America in 92. And he talked about an alternative between two diametrically opposed systems, capitalism and communism, and said an alternative between capitalism and communism is in the offing. What he really meant was, out of the clash between communism versus capitalism comes the New World Order. It's even announced on the American $1 bill. That symbol is there. Weishaupt, who established the Masters of the Illuminati in Bavaria, wanted to overthrow all governments and replace them with his global system. This has been bought lock, stock, and barrel by the elite rich few handful of families that are running our world. They're pitting Satanism against Judeo-Christian principles. And Islam. That's the first one to be attacked. Secretly, they want to get rid of all religions and replace it with 
their religion, mysticism. That's why they're not attacking any religion in China, in Taiwan, in Korea, or Japan. Because you see, their religions are deeply rooted in mysticism. Just like Weishaupt's occult religion. And Weishaupt saw the problem. The Christian-based nations of Western Europe and the New World later to become the United States of America. That was the problem. And he targeted his plan against them. Weishaupt saw two religious enemies, the Roman Catholicism and the Protestant movement. And the problem, basically, for Weishaupt was because he badly wanted to destroy the Western governments, replacing them with one world government called the New World Order. But how do you get from there our system to the New World Order. How do you thoroughly, gradually change every single aspect of every Western nation, moving them from freedom into slavery, without the people of these countries finding out your plan and forcing their governments to attack and destroy you? Well, first of all, you have to keep your plan very secret. So that's the very big reason why Weishaupt established his Masters of the Illuminati as a secret society. They had some major secrets to keep from us, the people that they wanted to enslave. Weishaupt felt that he had a very strong ally in the society called Freemasonry. See, Masons taught that one day the attitudes and values of all men from all nations would evolve naturally to the point where all religions would eventually meld together and become one. Every man would come to understand that all men are brothers. And Freemasons foresaw that they would lead the way to this new global understanding, this new global system. It was inevitable, and it would happen naturally. Peacefully. And Weishaupt wouldn't agree. He knew it would never happen peacefully and naturally because tradition would keep it from doing it. He knew it could only happen one way by violence. So they started infiltrating into the European Masonic Lodges in 1776 and on. It just took them 13 years. By 1789, Weishaupt controlled all the Masonic Lodges in Europe with his violent brand of change. His takeover of American Masonic Lodges didn't happen before 1830, as far as I know. But Weishaupt was able to win the hearts of a lot of American Freemasons before that. There's just one point in his grand plan to establish this new world order that he lacked. 
a tactical battle plan that would clearly spell out how he was going to overthrow all the established governments of the Western world. In 1823, a German professor named Hegel provided that formula, that perfect battle plan. Hegel proposed that societies were governed by a simple formula. The existence of one type of government or society named thesis would provoke the uh, appearance of the opposite type of government or society, which he called antithesis. And it would naturally begin to battle one another, since they were exactly opposite systems. So if thesis and antithesis battle each other for a long period of time with neither side annihilating the other, that battling would result in both sides changing to a hybrid system of government and society, and he called that synthesis. I call it the New World Order. Back with more in a minute. It's the New Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm the Space Man. This is the Space. The New Mojo Radio. This is 640 Toronto. It's a view from space on the New Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. It has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Spaceman on the New Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. The New World Order is on its way. I'm telling you how it's arriving. I'm talking about Weishaupt tonight and his Illuminati master secret society that he started in 1776. The goal to overthrow all established governments in the Western world. A German professor named Hegel, which was front and center on last week's View from Space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto, gave him the formula the battle plan, pitting one side against the other. One type of government or society going against an opposite type of government or society. Hegel named these thesis and antithesis, and they would naturally begin to battle one another since they were exactly opposite systems and therefore would see everything differently. And if they battled each other for a long period of time with neither side wiping out the other, that battling would actually result in both sides changing to a new system, a hybrid system of government and society. Hegel called this synthesis. I call it the New World Order. A constant battling or threat of battling was the key. See, Hegel figured that conflict brings about change. And planned conflict would bring about planned change. The Illuminati picked right up on that. And Freemasonry, now thoroughly involved in the leadership of the New World Order plan, 
now had their formula to achieve their goal. The original system dominating Europe in the late 1700s was economically private enterprise. The politics, either monarchy or democracy, and the religion was Judeo-Christian. Well, they needed another system. But how do you produce another system? There were no opposite systems that existed in 1776. So what can you do when no truly opposite system has shown itself? Now, if I were in charge of executing the New World Order plan and I believed in Hegel's theory, I suppose I'd sit down to create an exact opposite system to that one dominating Europe in those days. There's a Catholic editor and author, Pierce Compton. He wrote about the creation of an anti-thesis, the exact opposite of the Western form of of government. In 1846, he wrote, there was a feeling of change in the air, a change that would extend beyond the boundaries of the church and transform a lot of facets of existence. A couple of years later, a highly select body of secret initiates who called themselves the League of Twelve, just men of the Illuminati, financed a guy called Karl Marx to write the Communist Manifesto. The book, by the way, is called The Broken Cross, Hidden Hand in the Vatican. So antithesis was basically created when the Communist Manifesto was issued by Karl Marx in 1848. So now Hegel's theory could move ahead. Weishaupt had his other system, the Communist system. Economically, state-owned, state-planned, religion, atheistic, political system, a dictatorship, a more complete opposite to democracy and private enterprise couldn't have been possible. It was perfect. Just as if it was planned to be the exact opposite. And of course, it was. Synthesis, or what I call the New World Order, is the new hybrid system produced by constant battling between communism and capitalism. And the New World Order is planned to be economically fascist, where the means of production and the distribution of goods are all privately held. Does that not already describe what's happening? Petro-Canada used to be ours. We sold that to an American consortium who are, by the way, hunting all over the world for all the oil resources of the world and, and, and scoring them. 
with the New World Order, the government dictates how much is produced and how many companies can produce that same type of product. And the New World Order is planned to be religiously satanic, which is the exact opposite between the Judeo-Christian Islam religions. The New World Order is on the way. This Hegelian plan has been the major premise and has guided the actions of the Illuminati since the early 1820s. Simply put, this plan was created and it was the perfect opposite system to ours. I'm talking about communism versus capitalism. Those two opposite sides would battle politically, verbally for years, threatening the world with a major war. And you and I lived through that. But the plan called for neither side to military destroy each other. In all the years during the time this battle is planned to be waged, people's attitudes on both sides were gradually changing until a point was reached on both sides which will allow this new system, the new world order, to arise. It's coming. It's unstoppable. It's the Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Against my will, I stand beside my own reflection. It's haunting how I Putting communism against capitalism. And out of it comes the new world order. That's the road we're on. You're caught up on the latest curve that we've taken. I've got more on this coming up. I just want to take a quick call. Go ahead, George, you're on with the Spaceman. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Hi. It was developed in the 1950s. I'm sorry, I missed that, uh, George. What was that you said? The third way. That's the blending of communism and capitalism. Yes, that's sir, the go ahead. For it. it was developed in Austria. Mm -hmm. It's called fascism light. But it doesn't stay light forever. It takes the bad things out of both. Just the greed for money out of capitalism and the police state out of communism. Nothing good will come out of the third way. Tony Blair talks about it quite a lot. And you can see in England, he did something. He confiscated all the guns. Now they're coming after your uh, internet websites. So we're fighting W or 4W1, World Wide Web War 1, as they take away our right to speech. And, uh, but it didn't come easily. I listened to a great show once on CFRB on the night side, and it talked about how Wolfman Jack got on the air. You know how he got on the air? Took over a radio station in Mexico. There's a lot of sand in Mexico, and they had sandbags, and they put them around the radio station. Then he went to Texas, and he cleaned out all the gun stores, and they put men all around the radio station. Then they said, you want my right to free speech? Come and get it. And you know what? The radio station lasted, and it was one of the most powerful. One million watts of power. Everybody in North America could listen to that. People paid their bills. People listened, and a great radio station was started. But it got started with implied force, 
not to be afraid to speak and not to be afraid to stand behind it. You talk about the coming global government, you look in your weekend papers in Toronto, you see NAFTA Plus. Ottawa caved in for the formation of the superstate. One border, one homeland, one Fuhrer. We will all share a common approach to law enforcement. So we can have the Patriot Act, immigration, energy. We'll eliminate the borders. Great. Now the Bloods and the Cryptobro government's behind it, and I don't think our conservatives will change much. But the beauty of it all is we can have the draft. And maybe we can send our right-wingers to Afghanistan, and they can be in a real military, something they'd really love. And then they can eat depleted uranium like a real man and show us what it's all about. But our liberals aren't going to help us. In Ontario, they caved into the Great Lakes Water Diversion Project. Dalton McGinty, thank you. So, no limits to the amount of water that can be taken, or who takes it? And I remember when they did this in Russia. They diverted a great inland body of water. It was called a sea, but it was the size of one, our great, one of our great lakes. You know what they do there now? They play sandlot baseball. There ain't no water. The boats are high and dry. Not even Enron Ernie had the guts to do that, because he wasn't that stupid. But Dalton, I don't know what the CIA took pictures of you doing, but boy, you got to stand up and be a man and say no, because you're just going to ruin a major ecosystem. Without that Great Lakes water, we're all cooked. But Spaceman, it gets better. The conspiracy theory has been approved in humans. Now we can have the microchip. It's been approved for medical use. Yeah, FDA's just done that. And look what they picked on. They picked on the elderly sick. Oh, exactly. But there's a silver lining. McGill Medical School said in the news release I, made, I read in the Toronto papers is anybody can get a scanner and read the microchip. So there's no safety and no security. Mm. And now I can finally put my pet conspiracy to bed. I can get one of those scanners, read the Prime Minister, and prove he's still a bedwetter. So maybe he won't be so keen on it then. But I've also done some scientific research, Spaceman. And I use the scientific method. What I do is observable and repeatable. I water up to a fly. The fly knew what the fly swatter was, and it moved out of the way. And then I hold things up to human beings. You do too. You hold up the Illuminati and the plans for global government and how evil it's going to be. And the people just look at you and go, huh? And they get swatted. But the fly is smarter. It knows the threat and it moves out of the way. Last week I brought up another threat about the nukes off Iceland. They're still there. Something very serious happened up there, but there's a complete media blackout. We have a free press in Russia. They're going to report it. Yeah. And our press doesn't have the guts to say anything either. For there's four ships up there. One of them's a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. Damn it, has, huh? it has nuclear weapons, and it's nuclear-powered. They say it's safe, but three lifeboats were found in the water last week. So I went looking through the Internet, and the only article I could find on it was in the Icelandic Review. And they reported there's an oil slick. So I got three lifeboats. I got an oil slick, a possible eco-disaster. Two more Russian ships are coming to the scene. What the hell happened up there? The Russian Navy is like a disaster zone. Did they have a major accident? Is anyone going to tell us? 
when do we find out? The other thing about Iceland, Iceland's the staging area, the solar plexus of the planet to take out Europe and North America with one task force because the launch times are cut in half. That's the most important ground that you can hold on this planet. Where's the American Navy? Who's standing up to say, well, maybe these guys were really in some sort of plan to attack us? They've done decal. And maybe I have to translate it into American because maybe W doesn't understand what nuclear means. But it's WMD, weapons of mass destruction are on those ships. Something has to be done. Our government just sits on its hands. They're afraid. Maybe Mr. Martin did bring it up when he went to Russia quickly. I don't know. But I'm very concerned about what happened to Kudami because that was the same week. Mainstream media would have us believe that we got Larry Curley and Moe in the submarine driving a convertible with the top down in eight-meter waves. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I even learned on Bugs Bunny that the first thing you do when you go into a storm is batten down the hatches. I'm sure the Canadian Navy knows that. There's no theory that is a definitive cause for what happened. But my belief is the Ruskies hit us with an EMP weapon because Jakutami would have to sail by Iceland to come home. And they may have perceived her as being a threat to see what was really going on up there. And, and one there was reports of uh, sparks coming off uh, the size of golf balls, which uh, would I've really never give seen you a fire like that. Warships yeah. are designed to be attacked. They're designed to be shot up. And believe it or not, if you've never seen a submarine movie, submarines are designed to be full of water. So that's nothing unusual. That certainly isn't. George, thanks so much for the call. Thanks. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm the Spaceman. Coming back with more in a moment. Challenge. Debate. If you dare, call Gary now. 416-870-6400 or star 640 on your cell. It's a view from space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Gotta call space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Tonight I'm talking about communism versus capitalism as they go head to head to bring out a whole new system out of those two systems knocking heads. And it's called the New World Order. When the Masters of the Illuminati was founded in 1776, they had a few major goals in mind, besides the six major goals I've already mentioned, which are abolition of the monarchy and all ordered government, abolition of private property, abolition of inheritance, abolition of patriotism, abolition of a family, abolition of all religion. You can see that forming now on each and every single one that I've mentioned. But here's what's more shocking. They are, word for word, the exact goals of communism. And that is irrefutable proof that the masters of the Illuminati themselves created the concept of communism. And my research shows the Illuminati in 1871 organized meetings between the European communities and the First International Congress led by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Communism was created to be the exact opposite of Western capitalism. But there's more. 
the philosophies of the masters of the Illuminati and, the commu and communism are also identical. And the philosophies are, man is inherently good. All of man's problems are the result of bad environment. So, all man's problems can be cured if only his environment is changed. Believing this resulted in the slaughter of as many as 200 million people since 1917. The best way to immediately improve the environment is to kill everybody who will not accept the New World Order. And this is the basic belief of the coming age of the Antichrist. The New World Order. Don't you think history will only, as they say, repeat itself? You can cue the approaching sounds of the hoofbeats of the four horsemen of the apocalypse any time. Man's reason is supreme. And if the shackles of religious doctrine were released, then man could create an earthly utopia. That's their belief. That's why they want to wipe out Muslim, Judaism, Christianity, the monotheistic religions. And the wonderful end justifies any means necessary to get that, achieve that goal. And it's the belief that man can achieve happiness by restructuring his environment. So any action, including the slaughter of millions of people, can be justified if it advances the cause. The shocking fact of history is that the Illuminati created communism to be the exact opposite of Western capitalism. Once Karl Marx and Frederick Engels issued the Communist Manifesto, in 1848, the political stage was set to begin the planned battle. What's more, Western capitalists were loving it. They were pleased with this new system and were ready to support with as much money as they needed to create their coveted New World Order. Anthony Sutton, author of the book Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, reprinted a, a political cartoon which was created by Robert Miner, and it was printed in the St. Louis Dispatch in, in the year 1911. And you've got to remember now that in 1911, communism was just a theory. The Tsar still ruled Russia. The monarchy was still there in power. In the cartoon, Karl Marx is shown in the middle of the street in New York's Wall Street area with his communistic doctrine tucked underneath of his left arm. High-rise buildings lined both sides of the street. And the Empire State Building is clearly seen in the background. And throngs of people are in the background throwing their hats into the air in jubilation. Why all this happiness, this merrymaking? The Western capitalists were giving Karl Marx a ticker tape parade. George Perkins, a partner of the fabulously wealthy J.P. Morgan, is shaking Marx's hand. And he's got a big grin on his face. Standing behind Marx, with his outstretched hand, is Andrew Carnegie. J.P. Morgan and John D. Rockefeller are also seen waiting their turn to shake Marx's hand and standing directly in the background between Marx and Perkins, Teddy Roosevelt.
related to George W. Bush. Related to Queen Elizabeth II. Related to John Kerry. The cartoon actually shows that perfect understanding that Western capitalists were very supportive of Karl Marx's theories of communism. Why? Because now they created the perfect opposite to Western capitalism, signaling they were ready to begin to create their hybrid system, the New World Order. This New World Order that's coming is planned as a fascist economic system where the means of production and distribution of all goods is going to be controlled by private industry. The government would control how many companies could manufacture the same type of merchandise, how much of it, and for this system to work to the benefit of private industry, the elite ruling families that are running it all now, the dictator of the government always had to be a businessman who would make all his business decisions on behalf of the business. This new business government system will create enormous profits for a few reasons. It's going to allow no competition, first of all, in the economy. For example, there's not going to be ten car manufacturers in the world anymore. We're going to reduce it down to one. And the New World Order will not allow any local dealer, or leader rather, to arise and grab the assets of any multinational corporation. It would prevent what happened in 72-73 when the Arabs seized all the oil companies' assets on their territory. And a one-world government will produce the peace. Yeah that's so necessary for business to succeed. Of course, this peace will be brought about with the loss of our personal freedoms. But no New World Order leader really cares about individual freedom. It's the master-slave relationship they desire to bring back. It's the Spaceman on the Mojo. 640 Toronto, coming back with more in just a minute. Email at space at 640toronto.com or spaceman at 640toronto.com. Going over the beginnings of communism. Pitting against capitalism. And the winner is the New World Order. A completely new system coming out of the two that are exactly the opposite of each other. That's the number one requirement for this concept of Weishaupt's to work. Was for the government of a large nation to be overthrown and replaced by the opposite of the United States, which is 
the largest bastion for capitalism. So it was absolutely necessary for communism to be led by a nation who had about the same land mass, same population, and natural resources. So the New World Order planners decided in the early 1900s that this nation was going to be Russia. So Western money flowed early, and a lot, to Lenin to make sure he could overthrow the Russian czars. The Illuminati even worked through the German general staff to support Lenin as a revolution. And once communism was in power, Western money, credits, political support, kept communism from collapsing. Despite its inefficiencies and its flaws, they kept her afloat. And once Russia was communism, the next phase of the plan was introduced. And this one called for the threat of world war between America and Russia. But with no side militarily defeating the other. And that's exactly what happened. You and I lived through it. The Cold War with a nuclear scare. Bomb shelters. Intercontinental ballistic missiles. The movies. Dr. Strangelove and How I Learned to Love the Bomb. All of that propaganda. After World War II, with Russia being built up as a superpower because of World War II aid, the people of the world were subjected to one crisis after another between America and Russia. The Bay of Pigs. Involving Cuba. Missile silos a few miles off the American coast. We were put through 40-plus years of planned conflict between the Russians and the Americans. And then that time came for the planned merger into the New World Order. All along, the leaders of communism have been participants in the plan to create the New World Order. They've been loyal soldiers to the cause along with the Western capitalists and the Western political leaders. Gorbachev's very, statement very clearly revealed that truth. The masters of the Illuminati working with the Western capitalists created communism, and they think they still control it. And of what you've been hearing... Tonight on A View from Space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto was so different than what you've been taught. You've got to be shocked. Check out this statement by Alice Bailey. She's looked on as the most important New Age leader in history whose writings have been followed like a blueprint to bringing about the New World Order. In her most important book, The Externalization of the hierarchy, 
She wrote, talking about the historic meeting at Yalta in 1944, there, three men constituting a basic triangle met with goodwill to all and endeavored to lay the groundwork for the coming world happenings. Who attended that historic Yalta conference when they divided up the world after the Second World War? Where the Russian or the, where the Western powers granted unbelievable concessions to the Russians? Well, there was American President FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. There was the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and there was the Russian Communist dictator Joseph Stalin. And Bailey, Alice Bailey, said that these three men were equal leaders in the drive toward the goal of the New World Order. And as I said before, the Illuminati and other secret societies, monetarily backed by the world's most powerful leaders, created communism as the perfect opposite to capitalism, so that a long prolonged non-violent struggle would produce a new and different system. The fascist new world order that's on the way. Space. On a view from space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. He's the man they call space. And there's a really good reason. Get ready to find out things you never knew and be amazed by what you should know. It's a view from space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Toronto.com or space at 640toronto.com and your telephone calls at 416-870-6400 or star 640 if you got a cell phone. Hi, go ahead, Sydney, you're on. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add something to what you were saying. The fascism, George is right, fascism really is corporate totalitarianism and Mussolini even said that. He said fascism is corporatism, that's what it ought to be called. Now, the largest corpos are the banks. I have a picture of Jacob Schiff standing behind Lenin, who was sitting there in his wheelchair just before he died. Now, Jacob it, Schiff is the man that was sent to New York City to... Yes. He was from Wall Street, absolutely, right. and, of course, part of the banking system. Now, when they set up the communist regime, no one touched Rockefeller's bank. It was left alone. Before they went uh, to start the revolution, the famous revolution, Kerensky had already set up an embryonic democracy, and they had to get rid of that. So the bankers paid for Lenin to go right across Europe in his own private train. They gave Trotsky money. In fact, Trotsky, uh, the Canadians tried to stop him because he was leaving from Nova Scotia to head over there to Russia, and we had him. But then Rockefeller called the Prime Minister and said, let Trotsky go. 
so Krotsky got over there with money that was given to him by Rockefeller. He was actually staying with Rockefeller as a guest in Rockefeller's home. So they, they destroyed the Kerensky government that was just starting up, and they took over. So that was the phony revolution. Now, the other thing, uh, I remember a guy was calling in last week, but it was the end of the show. He was talking about black magic. Let me tell you about the blackest magic there is. All these people in these, this international banking cartel, they create money from nothing out of thin air. They have grabbed almost every resource, 70% of the resources on this globe with their phony money. For every loan that goes out of a private bank, say it's for a $400 loan, there's one buck in there. For every $400 any private bank lends to you, they take it right out of thin air. It doesn't come from depositors. That money is created at the instant you go for that loan and you have to have collateral. And if you don't pay that loan, they confiscate your actual property. And that's what has happened to the globe. And that is the blackest of black magic that there is. There was another guy writing in the 30s, Sinclair Lewis. And there's one book of his that's not on the shelves anymore. You have to go on a list. I don't even know if you can get it now. But he's a famous American author. He wrote Main Street. He wrote Aerosmith, Babbitt. They're all on the shelves. So this guy is a literary giant. But there's one book he wrote that you can't get. And it's called It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis. And in the book, he calls them the Corpos. Those, uh, that's the nickname for the people in the book that end up running the United States. And in the book, it has, uh, of course, the Americans, as they do during the draft, it has them trying to get over the border to come up here. But uh, if you can get the book, uh, try it at the library. They made me go on a list. I could only have it for 10 days. It took about a month to get the book to me, and they wouldn't tell me why it's no longer on the shelves whereas all of his other books are still on the shelves. So he knew in 1935 what was coming. And indeed, Mussolini was right. And people who talk about the corporations, the big films on the corporations, the activists that talk about the corporations, they will not discuss the banks. Those other corporations that are running the world have to go to the international banking cartel and get loans from them. And those loans come out of thin air. Those bankers, when they first started lending money to governments and kings, those monarchs were coerced. Monarchs were the ones that had the right to issue coins and money. But when they became in debt, the peerage would go to the money changers and get loans from them. And that's how they got into the system of government and the monarchies. Now, they love revolutions. They love them because a king, any kind of monarch, has the right to produce his own money. For the country, he can put out as much as the country needs. So they're in favor of all these revolutions where the monarch is pulled down because that's their competition. So what's going to happen now in the new world to come? It is all about the money. Money is the best idea civilization ever had. We can't, we can't have a civilization without it. But the problem is who is issuing the money? Who 
has the control of the money. And whoever controls the money, like the Federal Reserve, and Milton Friedman admitted they caused the Great Depression, all they did was they pulled in one-third of their business loans, corporate loans, even private loans, one-third within a couple of months. Now, I know it sounds odd, but this is the black magic part. The loans they had out there at interest was, that was the money. That was the money supply. So when the money supply is private loans from private banks, they can cause a depression, a recession, and have a war any time they want. Which and, is coming. And the blackest of magic is to pretend they have something in there to cover that money. I'm telling you that right now it's $400, and they might have a buck in there for every 400 they lend out. So what's coming? Forget about the electronics and all of that. Before they will give up their control of a nation's money, the purse, there'll be blood in the streets. They will not give it up. They're living high off the hog. They've got all the governments now are nothing but branches of the banking cartel. They obey them. They're obeying them in Canada. Martin is obeying them. There's a guy from the IMF in the Bank of Canada for the last few years. They're the ones that are telling Martin, cut this, cut health care, cut this and the other. And nobody ever asks when they hear about the debt we have to pay down. Our big surplus just went, you know, to pay interest on that phony debt. Mm -hmm. We have a $600 billion debt and 5% of it is the actual debt that we had. Now, he has just handed over $9 billion surplus, and again, it goes on interest, compounding interest. The debt will never be paid off. Spirals out of sight and can Absolutely. never be paid out. Absolutely. This is why everyone's dying on the planet. This money scam, this financial scam that's masquerading as an economy, the earth doesn't have to be like this. They are turning this planet into a living hell. And that is the blackest of black magic. And that's the one thing that's verboten. You cannot discuss it. I have talked to government people. I have talked to so-called activists like Abby Lewis and his wife and uh, Maude Barlow. They will talk about the corporations, but they will never, never divulge who the head corporations are and how they are confiscating all our assets. Our assets are being sold off to keep paying that interest, which is totally unnecessary, when our own bank for 41 years created, issued our money at no interest. So when you have debt money, it's called debt money, we are all debt slaves on this planet. Right. A lot of us are dying in other countries, but it's all because of the same thing. And it's coming here. So people have to start talking about it. When someone's talking about the debt, we can't have health care, we have to privatize this and sell off that, say to them, well then, to whom does this country, this wealthy nation, to whom do we owe this debt? Why do we even owe a debt? We have trillions and trillions in natural resources. Why in God's name should we be in debt to a private bank? What bloody absurdity is this? And even Rothschild said it himself. 
And Disraeli quoted him. He was at a banquet with him. And Rothschild said, and I'm quoting, did you ever hear of anything as absurd as that a country, a nation, goes on bended knee to a private family asking for credit? He knew how ludicrous it was, mm -hmm. but he was making, he's still making billions, trillions on it. So, of course, it's going to keep on. So, with the corrupt, you, you have the combination here, winning combination of stupidity and greed. Money is not evil. Money is the best idea that people ever had. It gets things done. But what happened was the very first privatization was of our money supply. And that's why the United States fought. And over eight, the, the money went back and forth, issued by private banks and issued by the Congress, eight times before the Federal Reserve inflicted itself in a very sneaky way on the United States. So that's what the black magic is. All our belongings and assets have been taken to pay interest for money from thin air. Thin air, Gary. Thank you, so, Sydney. Black magic. You got to love. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. It's the Spaceman on a view from space. More in a minute. This is a timeline of events. In 1776, the Illuminati is created with the goal of a new world order. 1823, Hegel's theory is introduced, pitting one system against another. 1848, Karl Marx creates communism, the perfect opposite to capitalism. 1875, New Age Movement is established as the secret society called the Theosophical Society. Alice Bailey heading it up. 1917, Communism becomes the system of government in Russia, creating, in reality, the opposite to American capitalism. 1917 to 45, the Western powers build up Russia to superpower status. 1945 to 89, the USSR poses potential conflict with the United States in a frightening scenario with nuclear war. But actual conflict is avoided. 1975, the guiding spirits tell the Theosophical Society's leader, Alice Bailey, it's now time to go public. They changed their name to the New Age Movement. 1990, August, President George Herbert Walker Bush announces the New World Order after Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. Same year, communism changes clothes to become New Age and to begin its planned breakup. Soon, USSR, Russia, join a one-world government via the United Nations. 
I have no date for that yet. But remember, back on A View from Space a few hours ago, I talked about an alternative between capitalism and communism is in the often, which was Gorbachev's incredibly revealing statement. Gorbachev really let the cat out of the bag. And I think he must have been sending a signal to all the initiates and the adepts of every secret society in the world, of every satanic cult, to be patient because the plan is on track and nearly complete. You know what this means? This means that the breakup of the USSR was not an accident of history, as the Illuminati-controlled media want to tell you. And it wasn't the policies of... President Reagan. It was simply part of the plan. If the world is about to be joined into the New World Order, one of the combatants has to disappear. And that end of the staged struggle would allow the new system to surface the New World Order. Here's proof of that happening. NAFTA was created as nation number one of the New World Order plan to reorganize the world into ten super nations, economically at first, politically later. This ten-nation plan was published in 1974. It was in a book called Mankind at the Turning Point. Supernation number five was listed as Eastern Europe, including Russia. Wait a minute. In 1974, Russia was only a province of the USSR, and the USSR was a superpower. So no superpower nation, number five, could have been listed as the USSR, including Eastern Europe. But it didn't say that. Why? Because the New Age authors of that book knew the plan thoroughly in 74. So like the prophet who could see into the future, they correctly listed the province of Russia as part of supernation number five out of the ten, even though the changed world would not happen for at least 20 more years down the road. Lucifer conspired from the beginning to try to wrest control from the world and take it from God and set himself up to be worshipped. And Satan is working through men and nations conspiring in secret to reorganize the world into ten super nations. That's why I say borders have to be knocked down. Flags have to be taken down. To make the world into ten super nations. Working through witchcraft to accomplish these goals is what's happening. Then once they succeed in reorganizing the world into the ten super nations, they'll simply hand over their new authority to the Antichrist. 
It's Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto, back with more and more. Expressed in the show do not necessarily reflect those of the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Question, or star 640 on yourself. It's a view from space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm space. This is the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. So... Lucifer is conspiring to wrest control of the world from God and set himself up to be worshipped. He's working through men and nations, reorganizing the world into ten super nations. NAFTA is nation number one. They slipped up in their book, Mankind at the Turning Point, in 1974 when it was published and named Supernation Number 5, listed as Eastern European or Eastern Europe, including Russia. And in 1974, Russia was only a province of the USSR. The USSR was a superpower in 74. So Supernation Number 5 should have been listed as the USSR, including Eastern Europe, but it was not. It was listed as Eastern Europe including Russia. And as I said, Russia was only a province then in 74, so they knew. That the change would happen. But it happened almost 20 years after the fact that book that that was printed in. So now you know the real story. When Ronald Reagan came on television and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. He was just playing another part. He was playing a role. He was an actor. As Gorbachev was an actor. Playing their part out perfectly. So, do you know how Hitler fit into this entire plan? Because he also called his plan the New World Order. It was exactly the same as the coming New World Order. He set up the exact same system of government, and Hitler considers himself the Antichrist also. Yet the entire power of the Western world was turned on Hitler, thoroughly destroying him and his new world order baby nation.
The Allies utterly and completely destroyed him despite the fact that the top corporate and political leaders supported Hitler with incredible amounts of money channeling through neutral Switzerland. Why? Doc Marquis, who was a Satanist and got out of us, told the answer in a new book he calls The Secrets of the Illuminati. Three years before he left Satanism, Doc Marquis was asked to become a part of the Illuminati, which was totally separate from traditional Satanism. So for three years, Marquis learned the New World Order plans for the Illuminati. When he was asked the question if Hitler was pursuing the New World Order plan, was a type of the Antichrist, and was generously supported by Western money, then why was he destroyed? What purpose did his existence serve? Doc Marquis simply said, the Illuminati never establishes anything on a large scale until they have first tested it on a smaller scale. wheel starting to turn in your head now about some of the smaller things that have been happening around Toronto lately on a small scale of course the Illuminati plans to establish their new world order globally it makes perfect sense that they would want to test it first in a smaller scale to iron out all the problems smooth out all the difficulties then when the true Antichrist arises, he can confidently establish his global system, knowing that it will work. Hitler's fascist economy did work, but Hitler made several changes midstream. His dictatorship was effective in ruling Germany and rooting out his enemies, sure. And his spiritual leadership as high priest of an open worship of Satan worked because he mesmerized millions of Germans, converting them into fanatical supporters. But it wasn't time. That was just the test. Like our blackout, 03. Like the computer glitches in the banks you experienced. Now the Illuminati knows that their system will work. And they're confidently planning to establish it worldwide. Hitler never really knew his true role. Never knew he was being used. And would be discarded once his use was finished. But now you know the truth. Hi, Brian. You're on with the Spaceman. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Go ahead. Good evening. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, I was just listening to you, and I was looking at a, a book off my bookshelf by Robert Highland, Robert A. Highland, and I was reading the introduction, and I thought of you. Why is that? Uh, well, if I can read it, a paragraph, it's not long. Go ahead. Uh, when any government, or any church for that matter, undertakes to say to its subjects, 
This you may not read. This you must not see. This you are forbidden to know. The end result is tyranny and oppression, no matter how holy the motives. Mighty little force is needed to control a man whose mind has been hoodwinked, contrarywise. No amount of force can control a free man, a man whose mind is free. No, not the rack, not fishing bombs, not anything. You can't conquer a man who is free. You, the most you can do is kill him. Uh, I don't want to get uh, dark on you, but good luck to you. And have you ever read a book called uh, Late Great Planet Earth? Um, by Hal Lindsey. Uh, uh, Hal Lindsey, right? Yeah, and a lot of what you bring up with the uh, uh, Antichrist mm-hmm. is in that book. I just happened to finish that a few weeks ago. That's why I, I don't know. I, mean, just, I was reading that paragraph and I just said, I'm going to call the space and see what he thinks of it. Thanks for that, Brian, because that's absolutely true. And do you know that uh, hoodwinked is a Freemason term? No, I didn't. Yes, it is. Uh, what it means is uh, to pull something over on someone and to have it secretly understood between the ones that know that it has been pulled over them, pulled over on them. Like a con. Or exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The cons know what's going on, but the the the, the guy who's getting con doesn't know. Correct. Uh, you're in there, space. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. I've been listening to you for a while, and now I'm starting to understand. Well, that's good, because that's what a lot of people do say. They say there's a certain way that you have to listen. Now, can I ask you a question? Sure. All right. Uh, I believe there's four different types of people that listen to this radio show. The first one believes everything that I say is true. The second person believes some of what I say is true. And some people believe none of what I say is true. Yes. and think I'm an absolute idiot, and there are people that don't know if I'm telling the truth or if I'm making it up, but they find it damn entertaining. Well... What, what number are you? One, two, three, or four? I'll tell you what I was. I thought it was just a show for entertainment. All right. You were number four at the beginning. Then I started listening to you on my way to work when you used to be on at 9 o'clock at night. Yep. And I said, this guy is trying to make, starting to make sense to me. Either I'm going strange or he's making sense. So now you're believing some of what I say, but not all. Uh, well, I take everything with a grain of salt. I don't trust nobody. That's just what I said. Thank you so much for the call. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm back in a minute. On a cell phone, you can punch in star 641. Someone hangs up. The lines are full. And uh, I'd certainly uh, like to get you this information as quick as I can. Hello, Al. Yes, go ahead, please. How are you doing, Gary? Good. 
Um, I didn't catch the name of the lady who was uh, on at the beginning of the hour because I came in after she was introduced. But she mentioned a book by Sinclair Lewis called It Can't Happen Here, and she inferred that it is impossible to find. Mm-hmm. Correct? Right. Yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah. So I go on abooks.com online, 61 copies. I go on bookfinder.com, 107 copies. Now, that is not an impossible book to find. Starting at $5.49 U.S. per paperback, done in 1993. So the book has not been out of print for 60 years. It has not been suppressed. It, has, it is not impossible to find. And I just hope that the rest of her information was correct uh, and, you know, that... Uh, She's, she's not uh, plagued with uh, inconsistencies and inaccuracies in the rest of what she was saying. Well, she actually uh, holds a uh, course at uh, the U of T. Okay. Yeah. She, and uh, a, a few books have been um, uh, taken out of the University of Toronto yeah. uh, Library, and uh, possibly that's one of them. Well, the U of T library because is... she did not mention uh, which library that when she finally yeah, did she get did. A, a hold of a copy. She did not mention what library that was, but and it, I, I suspect that it might have been the U of T. It very well could have been Robarts, but then, you know, Robarts is not the only library in the city, and libraries are not the only way to get books. Right. And for her to basically uh, wide-brush this book uh, as being impossible to find and, and infer that there is some nefarious plan behind its, uh, it, its yeah. absence, mm-hmm. just because she, the Robarts didn't have it or she didn't get it, is, well, I think that's irresponsible. You know, uh, before you come out and, and do, you got to check your facts. And uh, for, for her to do that, that, to me, that was just irresponsible. So I figured I'd, I'd uh, give, you, give you the heads up that I always will. Okay, I'll, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the website you found it at in case well, someone uh, was interested in finding what Sinclair Lewis had to say? The, fa- the fastest way to get to, uh, to search for books is abebooks.com. Mm-hmm. And then if the, if you don't get a match on that, you can try bookfinder.com. It is slower because it searches, I think, 35 different databases. So it does. It takes a little while, but uh, it'll get there, especially if you've got a dial-up connection. But if you've got a, a cable modem connection, you you can get the stuff pretty pretty yeah, pretty. Because that that is a lot of uh, a lot of data. Uh, yeah. Come into your box, all right. And, and I mean, you know, like a, a hundred right? seven you copies. The entire book. Yeah, 107 copies is is not scarce, right. especially considering that New American Library published the damn thing in paperback at I think it was 7.95 or 7.99 in 1993. So there's still copies out there, and uh, you know, I, uh, so and, and it is a good book. As a matter of fact, I read it years ago. It's a, it, Sinclair Lewis was a was a was a rebel writer of his time and uh, had some uh, amazing literary. Now that, now that you have uh, like. Um 2020 vision on what he had. He didn't have the foresight that you now, or hindsight now that you have. Uh, was he correct in the book? In an awful lot of stuff, yeah, he was. Uh, like in what uh, are the major points he was? Very, very similar to Samuel Butler, Butler when he wrote uh, Arrow One. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it, a lot of these um, futurists back uh, in Sinclair Lewis's uh, case, it's 70 years, but in Butler's case, it's over a hundred years. Um, they painted a picture of future society that was both 
um, Orwellian and not. And if you and I know that you've read 1984, but do you know why George Orwell wrote that book? Well, I, I what, what, what was the what was the genesis of, of of his thoughts from that book? I suspect because he did work for the BBC, which were the uh, where they were the thought police in the book. But don't forget that you know Orwell wrote that book in in 1947. It was published in 1948, and um, I think it was 16 years earlier. Uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley was published, mm -hmm. which is a, a, an, also a dystopian view of, of, of the future. But both of those authors had read a book that was Russian by an author named Yevgeny Zamyatin. It was done in 1917 called We, W-E, We, not O-U-I, We. Right. Mm -hmm. And that book is still around, and that book is is credited as being the first dystopian uh, novel, and basically... Uh, so you're saying uh, Huxley and Orwell stole from uh, the well, no, offer? They, they, they read Zemyatin, and, and they, they came out and said, we read Zemyatin, and we also believe in dystopia, and, and here's our view of it. It's slightly different, but the, the, the seed was planted. See, well, this is, now you're getting to the crux of the matter. This is what I believe that the Illuminati uh, is, uh, is very good at doing, is planting the seeds in people's minds. And they need people like Aldous Huxley. They need people like George Orwell to get the story out. That's right. So that will it, it, it will uh, seed into people's mind, take uh, take root into people's mind, and uh, and make them familiar with it before it gets here. That's right. And, and that's and what I believe. Uh, try and find a copy of Zamyatin's We and, and and read it when you get a chance, Gary. It's it's a fascinating piece of work. Thank you so much for the call, Al. It's the Spaceman on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto coming back with more in just a moment. Only on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. I mentioned earlier Alice Bailey and she was talking about the uh, historic meeting in Yalta in 1944 when they divided up Europe and the three men that constituted the basic triangle she says they met with goodwill to all and endeavored to lay the groundwork for coming world happenings. And the people that attended the Yelta conference, of course, were... And at that conference, the Western powers granted unbelievable concessions to the Russians. There was Franklin Delano Roosevelt representing America, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and Russian Communist dictator Joseph Stalin... And I maintain that all three were Illuminati members. Now, you have your own beliefs, but that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Now, the identity of Joseph Stalin's father is shrouded in mystery. 
I don't know if you've known that, but if you do a little research on Joseph Stalin, you'll find it. It's kind of difficult to pin down who the dad was. This happens quite a lot in the Illuminati, like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, I believe, is a bastard child of the Rockefellers. Yeah. His father died in a traffic accident at a very early age, who they say was his father. Also, Hitler. I did a show on it, on A View from Space. I covered that topic. Who was Hitler's father? And I wonder who Arnold Schwarzenegger's real father is. Because, you see, the Illuminati members never marry outside of the cult. And he married a Kennedy. He actually told his roommate before he left Austria that he was going to America to be a, a, a movie star and marry a Kennedy. But with Joseph Stalin, according to the official story, Stalin's father was a cobbler from Gori, a city in Soviet Georgia. There were rumors circulating during Stalin's lifetime that his real dad was the explorer Przewalski. And people who were spreading these rumors during Stalin's reign of terror were not murdered because Stalin enjoyed the association. This explorer was a well-known Russian hero. Joseph Stalin presumed his father, Bezo, was a drunk and a wife-beater. And he also beat Stalin. But it turns out that this explorer, that he didn't mind having rumors spread about that he was his father, actually was a homosexual and had no interest in women. So there goes that story. So if he was then Bezo and Przewalski, the explorer, if those two guys weren't responsible for the world's greatest murderer, Joseph Stalin, then who was? This question was explored by Edward Radzinski. He wrote an in-depth biography of Stalin. He was given access to previous secret Kremlin files, even. And Radzinski wrote in his book, After Stalin's death, when terror disappeared, people started naming several fathers who were fraudulently presented as the genuine dad. Who's your daddy? 
but the name of the most that came up the most was Yaakov Ektashvili. He was a wealthy wine merchant, uh, a boxing enthusiast. And one of those, Kiki, who Stalin's mother, worked for. Yakov Ignatashvili must have had some reason for funding Stalin's education because he did that. People said that Stalin called his first son Yakov in honor of Ignatashvili. There's a portrait of uh, this Georgian hero, too. He was certainly nothing like Joseph Stalin, who was, by the way, nicknamed Soso. So, this is as far as Radzinski was able to reveal. His information is sufficient, however, to take the investigation to the next level. Yosef Dugashvili, or Soso as his mother called him in Georgian fashion, his real name was Yosef Dugashvili. And he was responsible for murdering millions of people. And it's been said that Stalin was responsible for about 20 million. That's right. The murder of 20 million people between the years of 24 and 53. Now, let's face it. This guy has got to be some pretty powerful connections to pull something like that off. If you want to believe that his father was a well-connected bootmaker, then go right ahead. A wealthy Jewish wine merchant is also no ticket to the big show on the world stage either. The two evil twins of the last century, Hitler and Stalin, both had hidden affiliations to the powerful forces behind this new world order that's coming. And it should really come as no surprise the specific biological nature of their hidden connection is a big curiosity to me. So who was Stalin's real father? You're pretty much going to rule out the Russian hero Przewalski. He was gay. You can also rule out the Georgian hero, the wealthy Jewish wine merchant's power was localized to just the Georgian wine industry. Physically, he was a big man, and Stalin was described as a puny guy. So who are we looking for? Maybe the guest of a wealthy Georgian Jewish wine merchant. Let's see if Baron Edmund de Rothschild of the Paris branch of the Rothschild Bank family fits our description. Puny? Yeah. Well-connected? Huh. Yeah. Heterosexual? 
Yeah. Wine enthusiast? Yeah. So here's the challenge. How do we place Baron Edmund de Rothschild in the home of a wealthy Jewish wine merchant in Gori, Soviet Georgia, nine months before Stalin's birth? Pretty tall order, huh? I mean, after all, Edmund de Rothschild was a banker who lived in Paris, France. So why on earth would he be found in the middle of Soviet Georgia? I got a couple of possibilities. I'm coming back with them both in a minute. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. It's the Spaceman on a view from space. Was Joseph Stalin a rock show? Ever watch the news or read a paper and think to yourself, The things it takes to be a man Life slipping away from me is now the way I follow this thing The identity of Joseph Stalin's father during the last hour of the view from space is shrouded in history who his father actually was. The official story has Stalin's father as a cobbler from Gori, a city in Soviet Georgia. And then there was another explorer named Brzezowski, but he was gay. And Edward Radzinski wrote a book on this subject, was given access to Kremlin files, and came up with uh, another name, most often mentioned. And that name was Yakov Egnashtavili. And as a matter of fact, Stalin called his first son Yakov. Was it in honor of Ignatashvili? Who knows? Or were none of those mentioned the real father? So if you get to checking... Baron Edmund de Rothschild's name comes up. The banking family Rothschild. And there's a couple of possibilities that actually place Edmund de Rothschild in the middle of Soviet Georgia. Number one, he could have been on his way to the great horse markets in Central Asia in an effort to enhance the quality of the family's thoroughbred breeding. And he would have also found himself in that corner of the world for another reason. Joseph Stalin was born Joseph 
Vizianovich Jugashvili on December 21st, 1879 in Gori, Republic of Georgia. At that time of Stalin's conception, the Rothschilds were involving themselves in the lucrative Russian oil business. They were involved with oil fields in the Caucasus region of Russia, which includes Azerbaijan, Armenia, and Georgia. That's the great Baku oil region that was first opened up for development in 1873. That's a long time ago. Six years before Stalin was born. Working from behind the scenes, the Rothschilds would ensure that oil of the Caucasus region would find its way to the West, giving the Rockefellers standard oil a run for their money. In 1877, by arranging a war between their clients, the countries of Turkey and Russia, the Rothschilds ensured that the port of Batumi, an essential link, by the way, in oil transport out of Baku, would be incorporated into Russia. With Batumi in Russian hands, the Rothschilds, then could go on to finance the struggling Baku-Batumi Railroad that brought all the Russian oil, a lot of it owned by them, out of the Caucasus to the West. And it was Edmund, the youngest son of Yakov de Rothschild, that's right, Yakov de Rothschild, and Stalin's first son was named Yakov, he did a lot of the legwork for the Paris branch of Rothschild's family, the oil experts. He would travel overseas in style in a family yacht. And the sea route from France to the Caucasus oil region ended on the shores of the Black Sea. From there, Edmund would have had to travel across the Republic of Georgia. across the mountainous Georgia Edmund would have had to pass through Gori, an important trading town. From Gori, Armenian, Azerbaijani, Jewish merchants traded there with the whole world. And the Republic of Georgia is also known for its grapes. And Baron Edmund de Rothschild was a wine connoisseur. His family, of course, owned the finest vineyards in the world. So while he was in Gori, it seems likely that he would have looked for some place to stay with our wealthy Jewish wine merchant. Yakov Ignashvili, who more than likely had a business connection to Baron Edmund de Rothschild, as the Rothschild's wine label was exported all over the world. So after samplings of the local wines and being a thousand miles from home, it'd be pretty normal for the Baron to cast his eye on a pretty woman, wouldn't it? Who the wine merchant employed as a person who did the laundry. The rest is history. 
Did Stalin's name his first son after that wine merchant, or did he actually name him after his grandfather, Baron James Yakov de Rothschild, or both? Here's another interesting question. Was Baron Edmund de Rothschild in the Caucasus in the spring of 1879? The destiny of the child born to that laundry girl wouldn't allow you to rule that out. The answer, you and I know, lies deep in the Rothschild family archives. I'm back with more on this with Stalin Rothschild. I'm Space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Taking your comments at 416-870-6400. Star 640 on your cell phone. Emails at space at 640toronto.com or spaceman at 640toronto.com. You can use either. I'm exploring the possibility that Joseph Stalin was a possible Rothschild bastard child. I know... A while ago now, I'm not sure how long ago, but maybe a year ago or so, I did a uh, show on Hitler being a Rothschild bastard. And the circumstances that surround that Hitler as a bastard child of the Rothschilds certainly made you think. As a matter of fact, it was very compelling facts that connected those two people together. So, Baron Edmund de Rothschild, who was the possible father of Joseph Stalin, was in the Caucasus in the spring of 1879, taking care of the family oil business. Joseph Stalin named his firstborn son Yaakov. And it's curious that Stalin began to begin the start of his career as a revolutionary that denounced the Rothschild oil in his interests. Because, you know, Hitler, who was also suspected of being a Rothschild bastard child, also began his career denouncing the Rothschilds as the power behind the Versailles Treaty and, of course, the source of all of Germany's problems. Were Stalin and Hitler cousins? John Kerry and George W. Bush are... I don't know if you knew that, but they are. Was Stalin and Hitler illegitimate Rothschild cousins? Because, you know, that would explain a lot of things. Stalin allowed Hitler 
to get at the Jews of Eastern Europe. Eliminating the Rothschilds' worst nightmare, which was the immigration threat to Palestine. Preventing that fragile, young colony established by Baron Edmund as a matter of fact from being overrun by hundreds of thousands of poor people. So he ensured the safe establishment of that planned military state of Israel, which was designed by the Rothschilds at the start to protect the Suez Canal, which ensured the safe constant flow of Russian oil to the east. We'll never know. But you know, the Illuminati is pretty famous for keeping it all in the family, aren't they? Hi, Christina. You're on with the Spaceman. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Oh, hi, Space. Uh, I've been reading a little bit of Barry Shamus, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's an Israeli um, journalist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been reading Henry Macau and um, and I also he's good Henry Mack oh good. very good really good um, and uh, I, I deduced from this that the creation of the state of Israel is really a means to the ultimate solution to the Jewish problem in their idiotic wicked evil plan. They herded all the Jews there and then in the end build a wall around them and then exterminate them all. Well, I believe uh, I believe and I've said this on a view from space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto a few times that first of all it's going to be the Palestinians that get wiped out mm-hmm. and then the Antichrist is going to turn his eye on the Hasidic Jews, the Orthodox Jew, well, the believing Jew. Well, I, because I, you see, there are Jews that do not follow the uh, yeah, religion. Is, that didn't save them either in the last World War. In the last, my father uh, and mother were teenagers during the last World War, and they told me a few things. Where they, were they? They were in Holland. Okay. And uh, there were people, there were Jews, who were uh, working with the Nazis and um, betraying uh, their fellow Jews. And in the, to anyway, save their own selves? To save so-called their own selves, but that didn't help them. No. They were rounded up too. So, these people who think that they might escape. Because they're not practicing Jews? Because they're not practicing Jews. Mm -hmm. I don't think there is an escape because it wasn't that way. You know, remember when you said they always try things in small? Mm -hmm. Yeah, first the test. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe the whole state of Israel is... Well, we know they're going to use Israel to drag all of the world's armies into that area. Yeah, it looks that way. 
Well, that's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. Mm-hmm. I hope the plan will not be quite carried out. The plan is to make Jerusalem the capital of the world, a new world order. Yeah, I've read that too. But sometimes there are little glitches in plans. There certainly are. And I hope there will be. Because this idea that I'm getting, this paranoid idea, that this would be the the ultimate uh, extermination plan is... Absolutely horrendous. Well, now with that wall they're building, that's more of like a prison than a, and a protection. Well, when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, if you're being attacked, say, from the south, how do you get your army down there? There's a wall. If you're being attacked from the north, how do you get your army up there? There's a wall. Well, with modern warfare, I guess that's not too much of an obstacle. But, well, yeah, I, I see your point. It's a, a way of enclosing. And, yeah. But it's a horrible thought, I tell you. It certainly is. And uh, I have to also say uh, that you have been an enormous eye-opener. I, I had no idea. I had no clue what, what the hell was going on until I started listening to your show. It's a real, real eye-opener. And I really thank you for it, and I, I certainly uh, hope you stay on the air. Because as long as you're on the air, then we know that freedom is still here. View from Space on the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. Three minutes left now on a view from space. It's the new Mojo Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm taking your calls, 416-870-6400, star 640. If you got a cell you want to call, there's a line open. Also, if you'd like to email me, it's spaceman at 640toronto.com or space, just simply space at 640toronto.com. Real simple, real quick. I just want to give uh, Sydney a, a, an opportunity to... Uh, rebut the uh, caller earlier who uh, called up and said that the uh, book she couldn't find was available on the internet in, uh, in vast numbers. Go ahead, Steph, or uh, Sydney, you're on the air. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to tell them what actually happened. It wasn't the university library at all. Okay. This was in the early 90s, I would say 91, 92. I was living in Witchwood Park. I went to the Witchwood Library because I hadn't read the book since the 50s, and I was doing a paper, and I needed that book. So I went to the Witchwood Library. They told me that book was not in the province. So I said, well, that's odd because all of his other books are in all your branches. I said, I've been to the other branches. I'm desperate. I need the book. So she said, well, I'll see if I can get it, but it's out of the province. I forget where she said it was. But she said, sign the list here, and we will call you. Now, she said it could take three weeks to a month before the book comes to us. Finally, when it did, it was a hardcover book. It looked quite old, maybe back that far. I don't know. And uh, I went in and got it, and I was only allowed to have it for seven days. It was either seven or ten days. Now, at that time, I don't even know if Amazon.com was around. I didn't have a computer, and I wasn't affiliated with the university at that time, although I am an alumnus. 
So that's what happened with that book. And the reason I thought it was so odd is because all his other books, four or five at least, they had copies on the shelves in all the branches except for this one book. So she never did tell me. I asked her at the time, why is it this uh, book that I can't get it and all the others are there? She said, we don't know, but you'll have to sign this list and we'll call you when the book comes in. So that's exactly what happened. But uh, I don't know. That was before 93, but having read the book in the 50s, by that time I thought, well, I'm going to have to reread this if I'm going to do the paper. So that's what happened. Now, as for Al himself... Uh, he can come to the class. We will be doing uh, the 9-11, uh, some things that people never talk about having to do with 9-1-1, and we'll be doing that this Monday. So he can come to room 102 at 60 St. George Street along with about 100 other people. And uh, it's at 6 o'clock Monday, and uh, he can see for himself whether he thinks I'm uh, talking off the top of my head or not. I just wanted to give you that opportunity, Cindy, because I know uh, 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 the person that listens to this show and hears you uh, on every uh, every single program, uh, that they respect you. You are widely respected, and I never put on the same caller twice in one show. You're the first. I did it tonight. Thank you so well, much. Thank for you for letting me. Come on. Bye now. Graham, go ahead. You're on with the Spaceman. This is the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. Hi. Gary, I just want to um, I just want to make it brief, but I want to say, um, two weeks ago I phoned in to another talk show, and guess what? I mentioned to the international writer, he's an international American journalist. I, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but his books are internationally known. Mm-hmm. I put in question form everything he's talked about the Rothschilds tonight concerning Russia, concerning Stalin, concerning the relationship, everything. And guess what? His answers to my questions were exactly what you've been talking about tonight. So, um, well done, because you've confirmed my research findings concerning the subject matter of what you're talking about tonight concerning Joseph Stalin and the Rothschilds. And I just want to say that that's great. Hey, thank you very much, Graham, for uh, letting us in on that, because... um uh, that uh, seems to uh, lend credence to what I've said tonight because a lot of people think that uh, I make this stuff up. Oh, no. Can I just say one last thing? Yep. Russia was all along from 1917 to 1945 a creature by design. Russia was created by the Rothschild family to do what Sydney had mentioned earlier on. The role and purpose of Russia was to create instability to bring down the monarchy's power to have control over currency mm-hmm. so that nations would borrow money and get in debt. And the, the, the architects behind Russia were the Rothschilds. They were the architects. They planned it. They, they staged the whole thing. Yes, they did, sir. And I just want to say... That's not the only thing that's been staged. <laughs> <laughs> Could I just say one last thing? You certainly can, sir. Um, I'm Jewish half Jewish. I'm not, I'm not Judaic Jewish. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. Like, I'm a Jew born and raised in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. So, I, I just want to, I, I feel that this is a truth that the public are entitled to know about. They have a right to know this. And I think that what you said tonight was just fantastic. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Graham. It's the Spaceman. This has been a view from space on the new Mojo Radio 640 Toronto. Coming up next, Coast to Coast, 
I'm Space. I'm out.